Hello and welcome to the Marketing Mind podcast brought to you by the marketing editorial team and hosted by Something Else. This month's episode is titled Technology's Unclosed Circle and it's basically an excuse to talk about South by Southwest, which just happened, and to talk to our two guests who have been there. They are Ben Essen, Head of Planning at Iris, and Nick Dutch, Head of Digital Marketing at Domino's Pizza UK. Hello to you both. Hello. Hello. I'm Shona Ghosh, technology editor at Marketing, and uh, there are two reasons this podcast is um, called The Unclosed Circle. One of them is obviously South by Southwest. And the fact that um, my understanding of what happened is that there were no sort of big kind of tech reveals at South by Southwest. And it was a lot of talk about the implementation of tech by brands and society. And the other reason is that I've been reading a book called The Circle by Dave Eggers. I'll briefly give you a summary. So it's a kind of dystopian fiction. Um, it follows uh, a tech company called The Circle. Um, they've kind of got their fingers in a lot of pies, may or may not resemble a real life large tech company that has its fingers in many pies. And you follow a character who um, who works for the circle and never sort of questions its influence on society and she ends up carrying this camera around with her very similar to sort of a life logger that you get now and she sort of films her day-to-day life and kind of streams it to the world and it raises lots of questions about sort of always on surveillance and so on and sort of uh, an unquestioning adoption of tech so um, with with that in mind about the possible scariness of tech and the implementation of tech in society what's the scariest tech behavior you guys have sort of seen in the last year or sort of generally what sort of scares you about tech? Ben, I'll let you go first. I actually, uh, just a point on that book, there, sure. was, there was a camera being, uh, being launched at uh, uh, South By that was directly based on the little, uh, the little spy cameras in that book. So. On, the, on the life logger? So, so there you go. Yeah. How did it can, work? Did you sort of put it around your chest? It like? was a little wrapper. You could wrap it around anything. Just okay. a camera you could wrap around anything. So. And what was the idea that it would sort of live stream kind of the world or what's the... That's it. That's it. It's your little periscope buddy. Basically. Of course. Yeah. How interesting. But, but no, I think the... Uh, I think the, the scariest headline I think I've seen in the last year was probably the the, uh, the the classic "Will a robot steal your job?" Of course, question. Um, and I think it, it was definitely a discussion topic at South by in terms of AI and robotics and uh, what's going to happen in terms of job disruption. Um, and you know, all these Uber drivers that have only just put taxi drivers out of business are going to get course. put out of business by autonomous cars. Of course. Um, and KPMG suggesting that we are 140 million knowledge workers out of jobs in a couple of years and yeah i guess as a creative professional um I've, I've been feeling pretty pretty smug because everyone says oh you know never replace creative professionals but there was actually uh a, a, there's a guy called Stephen thaler who has produced a particular kind of ai called the creativity machine which works differently to other forms of artificial intelligence and uh is, is basically works to, to kind of disrupt data and come up with new ideas um, and which is basically creativity. Which yeah, is basically creativity. So, so I'm quite scared by that because I think that's going to put me out of a job in a couple of years. I heard about this robot that can compose operas. Um, sort of to your point about non-creative robots, and I there's a there's a really interesting YouTube video. Um, I think it's by someone called CPG Gray or CP Gray. He makes sort of lots of explanatory videos, and he was talking about how. Uh, the scepticism around whether a robot's going to take your job and he was saying that the logic doesn't follow that it won't because if you think about horse and carts and how they are replaced by mobiles where are all the horses now? They're just hanging out in the fields so they're not really not really useful to society so he is sort of suggesting we're going to be the future horse and carts which is quite scary. On that scary note Nick, what's your scary tech? Um, it's funny, I was thinking about this actually and I try not to get scared by the tech but then when you talk about unconscious uh, adoption of tech probably the scariest thing is happening right now because it's kind of 
how many people do you see driving around on their phone? That's I a great see you're example of phone kind of, right now. Yeah, right now looking at your phone, crashing your car. I think that's a more, that's a better example of the genuine uh, disruption that tech unconsciously is creating. Because there's lots of stuff you can look at in the future and go, will we lose jobs and will it make will it put Ben out of a job because creativity is now uh, automated? But I think that the, the more obvious disruptions are when you see something that's kind of just very quietly appeared, and then you see it's changing. You know, it's, it's changing how people are behaving right now, and I think that's where. We're probably less aware of that, and I think that's more disruptive. I agree with you. I think. Sorry, Ben, you were going to say something. I was just going to going to counter this a little bit because I, I think this is the the sort of massive misconception about artificial intelligence, which is that it's this distant dystopian thing that one day will come along and uh, overtake us all, a bit like the Matrix. Um, and, and I think it's actually a much more subtle than that. It's much mm. more of a creep effect. And I noticed so on that creativity point, Google yesterday have announced a new feature in their uh, photos tool called Smart Albums, uh, which essentially will take your photos and it will pick the best photos to put into a photo album for you. So that job of kind of picking, oh, that's a good one, oh, I like that one, uh, will now be done. done. And it's, it's, a, it's a machine learning tool that they've developed that enables it to do that, um, that's got, you know, can recognise different landmarks and different people and all the rest of it. So that, that is a sort of primitive form of AI which if I was looking at it, I'd say, A, my hobby of selecting images is now under threat, and B, uh, if I was a photo editor, I'd be getting very scared about, about my job in the next couple of years. So, so I think, for me, artificial intelligence, it's not a kind of big, scary thing in the future. It's a bit like globalisation. It's just going to kind of pick away and you know, little tasks that start off being very helpful but very quickly become displacing as, as we realise that, oh, we don't need to do them anymore, we don't need to pay someone to do them anymore. I suppose it's just about conscious or unconscious, isn't it, in that instance? So, for example... Sort of the same thing, and I, I love my Google Photos app, and I think it's a great example of something that's, oh, you know, then all the places you've been, everything is starting to kind of, you know, um, what's the word, kind of file my life essentially mm. in a way that's quite interesting. I would never have done that myself, so because that's not an area of interest for me. So for me, it's quite, oh, that's quite an interesting use of artificial intelligence or machine learning to to make my life easier and add value. I suppose it's just how you how you uh, how you get exposed to it and how you um, adopt to it. So for me, it's added value, whereas you, I guess you're thinking, oh, I enjoyed doing that and now someone's doing it for me. So I think that it's just how surreptitiously these things appear, mm. which is probably the scariest thing, hence my kind of people texting while they're driving is probably the most dangerous technology that we have at the moment because it's killing people every day. I was going to say something quite similar, sort of the insidiousness of tech. So, you know, the way that... Um the science is, in terms of studying the impact of everyday tech like smartphones on people is, is quite new. So only now you're getting these studies of what is the impact on your brain of staring at a screen all day. And, you know, there are all these studies around how Facebook, you know, when you get a notification, you get a sort of dopamine rush. And that's that's all quite new. And that's, that's sort of quite weird that tech is, you know, even though there's scepticism over whether the internet is addictive, obviously certain elements of looking at your phone is quite addictive. And I don't think anyone was thinking about that even two years ago. And now suddenly it's actually... Do you need to, you know, you get these kind of digital detox kind of programs and it's like, do you need to maybe put your phone away for eight hours? Should you maybe spend a week without your phone? And just because these things have crept into our lives. Anyway, I don't want to sound really pessimistic about tech. We like tech. There, tech was, a, there was a professor at South by Southwest, uh, a professor of attention and co- cognition um, called Dr. Catherine Moore, who was talking about she's been doing a study on the reliance on technology and has, has now proven through research that overuse of GPS uh, diminishes your navigational skills. I'm sure it does, because if you switch off that kind of side of you, it's, it's quite interesting from an evolutionary expe- uh, perspective, because you, you needed your kind of navigatory sense to, to run away from stuff. And now if that's kind of diminishing and we sort of less, 
less well-developed animals. It's so interesting. I guess we're also hoping we just don't have to run away from stuff No, that's much. true. Hopefully a sort of big mammoth isn't going to come, yeah. and, come and eat us. So, um, uh, just, to, just to cover what you guys saw at South by Southwest, I'm really interested in sort of digging into what you guys um, thought was interesting. So sort of from afar from the UK, there were sort of big news headlines about obviously Obama was a sort of headliner um, and he spoke about all kinds of things, politics and tech and encryption. So that was one headline. But it felt like a lot of stuff, a lot of the headlines Silicon Valley developments was happening outside of South by Southwest. So you've obviously got the Apple and encryption fight. You've got Google's AlphaGo kind of winning... Um, winning the go match against a human competitor. So what were you what were you interested in? What was your sort of what were your personal headlines? What were what were some of the kind of standout talks for you? And could you pull out some of the themes or was it all quite disparate? Nick, I'll let you go um, first. I suppose sort of Ben's point earlier on before we were talking about there's so much on, right? So, so, so when you're there there's probably, Was that your first time at South by Southwest? Yeah, South so it's my first time. So you've got uh, you've got a sort of conference that runs essentially from nine till six and there's probably I don't know I'm 40 things on at every hour slot. So the ability, to, whilst you're in it, to pull out themes is quite uh, limited by the things you actually go to. Mm. Um, so I guess my, my experience was pretty framed by a guy called Douglas Rushkoff, who's a, a, an author who was um, there to sell a book. Of course. Uh, and um, the book, the title of which I uh, can't remember, so therefore we're not selling it. But essentially it was about um, everyone living around this kind of this 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 myth that essentially... When you're in the tech world or in a startup world or you're building kind of new 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 technologies, you're doing it for kind of the greater good when actually the reality is we're all in this kind of corporate model that's been around for 700 years, which is uh, essentially about kind of... He talked a lot about the extraction of wealth from society. Um, so, and I thought that was a nice way of framing kind of South By. Certainly if you were a, a new venture, a new startup, and you had something that you wanted to to get seen, that probably the, the right model isn't to go and find lots of uh, investors to come and buy your product so that you can then sell it, IPO, move to the Bahamas. But actually, how do you find something that really is going to change the world? And and by that, he was really talking about the circulation of wealth, i.e. create something that is profitable, but you can then share with other people and kind of rather than just uh, going for the kind of full steam ahead corporate billionaire uh, monster that basically you're, you're just taking money from people and passing it off somewhere else and I thought that in the context of technology innovation startup all that kind of stuff it was just a nice way of framing what South by should mean to people or what should te- technology should mean for people okay so that's that's quite interesting and Ben sort of that, that's that's the sort of framing of it what else did you guys sort of go and see that kind of inspired you or gave you ideas well, you have at South by Southwest a, a bunch of kind of pop-up brand experiences like you get at any festival. And you normally go on these, these these things, you get some free popcorn or a kind of badge or something. And went into the the IBM pop-up, it was called the uh, the Cognitive Era, and you went into that and um, there was a guy there with a, with a you know, little EEG reader on his head. Um, and uh, he was talking through how he spent three hours that morning creating this program using some op- open-source IBM software that allowed him to move a little BB-8 Star Wars toy droid around using his mind. That's amazing. And just, you're like, oh, no, I'm good for you. And he was showing, you know, he could think, he programmed it with some simple commands. So if he thought forwards, um, then uh, that reader knew that bit of the brain was thinking forwards and therefore that it then programmed that up to uh, 
to send the, the droid in a forward direction and you could send it in some basic directions and you know we're just talking about how you could you could actually build one of these at home you can get in, get the melanie eg reader for about 99 dollars on uh, kickstarter and um uh, this as i say it's open source software you can play around with it and um you know spend i think it's about 15 minutes training it uh if you're an expert and and uh, suddenly you can do this and i think for me that was uh, both fascinating and scary, but also actually chimed. I think this idea of the cognitive era is quite interesting. That this the um, technology getting more visceral uh, and, and getting kind of closer to your subconscious, and, and um, a lot of the interactions we've been having with technology over the last five or six years have been explicit and uh, uh, well, I guess to date have been explicit. Uh, um, and I, I've forgotten. Uh, Greg Carley um, from Chaotic Moon was talking about this idea of implicit interaction. Um, and and the, you know, the the challenge for anyone building tech now is what is the quickest, most reliable way to get information in and out of the human body? So how can I use sensors to find out what you want uh, without you having to tell me what you want? And how can I then relay information back to you in a way you know, that, is, that is more subconscious? So you haven't got to look at a screen to know, know the information I'm going to give you. I'm going to feed it to you in a way that's, that's more... Uh, impulsive than that and i think that whole idea of uh of the cognitive era is fascinating there was actually an innovation uh, award winner uh, called think obviously spelled t-h-y-n-c in of course startup world yeah of course um which is it's a simple tool again it's going to be widely available soon uh, and again you stick it on your head and uh it can you can alter your mood by zapping yourself with electrical impulses so if you're a bit stressed out you set put it on calm setting and it will it will chill you out with some, with some sort of low low resonant calm waves. And if you need a, you know, if you you know can't can't be able to get a coffee or you can't sort of hook up or you know whatever the, whatever the issue is, then you can uh, pump some stimulating uh, electrical magic, magic magic waves into your into your head, and it'll and it'll pick you up. And um, I didn't get to try it, but by all accounts, it, it just works. It's quite Blade Runner esque, isn't it? It's like the Penfold mood organ where you inject yourself with a with a feeling, and that's that sort of that's. I'd see a few things like that where you can sort of control your mood using gadgets, and it's the fact that it might actually be a thing is quite amazing and terrifying at the same time. So I find this idea of visceral tech very interesting because you know perhaps less so when you're kind of examining people's behaviour on the web and it's very subconscious, for the most part, I, I feel as a marketer, you're relying on what people tell you they're doing and what they tell you their interests are, as opposed to, I guess you get some behavioural information as well, but this idea of technology being able to measure impulses that are much closer to the body, as opposed to you know relying on the data that people give you about themselves that may not be actually indicative of their state. That's quite interesting from a mar- marketing perspective, isn't it? It is, but I think that's the, I mean that's where you get into the real world of risk mm. from a consumer perspective. So I think it, I, I would probably try and frame that as very interesting from a product development perspective. Or if I'm developing stuff mm. that people will use, then you want to be able to utilise it. But it's it's a difficult territory to play in. As if it's a pure marketing play, um, then I just think that that's kind of because how much of that is uh, from a consumer perspective, how much of that is kind of opted in behaviour. I how much am I really sharing? So I've developed this product where I can alter your mood by uh, zapping you um then if i'm a marketeer you know that's quite a terror that's quite a terrifying thing for a consumer to think that perhaps potentially in the wrong hands should we say that uh, someone could be influ- influencing my mood without my uh, um um approval or without my kind of consent so that's quite a, just it's just an, whereas if i was developing a product that someone bought oh yeah i'm going to buy that so it'll change my mood then that's fine and i, I just think there's Marketing versus product development is probably quite an interesting kind of way of splitting these things. I think if you if you build products, 
that do this sort of stuff, then that's great. If you try and utilise your marketing, that's quite, oh, I don't know, it, it could be considered... Could be evil. Yes. There, there was there was a talk about that sort of opt-in behaviour change yeah. and that, that idea of the next wave, the behaviour change was this kind of you know, subtle thing and now more and more people are saying, you know what, I'm going to subscribe to this brand, build a relationship with this brand, whether it's a, a headspace or a runkeeper or whatever it is, because there's a sort of agreed end result that I want to achieve and it's going to, it's going to take me months to get there, but... I trust this brand to hit me with the right behavioural cues to get me there. And, and I guess that might actually be more transferable than we think because there will be people who, who go, in the world of dominoes, you know, I want to make sure that I have a dominoes at the optimum moment. And, and, and cause, cause Nick, don't forget, we've, we've actually done this already. Um, so we, we uh, about a year, 18 months ago probably now, we launched the Domino's Tummy Translator, correct. Yep. which was a simple mobile app. That you was, could this, was this where you translated the Tummy Rumble? You could so translate right. your Tummy Rumble so to tell us, you what... So walk us through what that was, because some, some of our listeners may not know. So it's, uh, it's a simple application. You can uh, download to your, to your phones. I think still still now. Still, available, still live. Still available. Yep. Um, and uh, it will, uh, through a very simple piece of scientific, highly scientific engineering, <laughs> when you hold it to your stomach and you're hungry, it will read your rumbling sounds and will tell you the kind of pizza that, you, that you're craving at, at that moment. And it is always pizza that the rumbles are craving. Is that, is that the outcome well obviously it, okay you know okay. Come on, just we're, we're, only, we're only human <laughs> um, but I, I, and, okay so it, it was a bit of fun I'll, spoiler alert um but but i guess there is there is an important point there which is actually you know why not and um google have been talking a lot recently about intent and signals of intent and you know we've been looking at that in the world come the car market in the world of the car market signals of intent combinations of the websites you're visiting and the behavior you're displaying you get an understanding of okay uh, is someone suddenly in the moment where they're like they're at a particular stage of a journey but there's no reason that we can't have signals intent around loving a pizza so so you know at the point at which you press play on episode one of uh, season four of house of cards we know that you're going to need a pizza in about three hours time um so you know how, how can particularly if i'm opting in how can we be using some of those data signals to drive more implicit uh, in, interactions where I'm not having to tell you tell you these things. Or indeed, can I stick my mind reader on my head yep. um, no, and, no. and it will tell you what kind of pizza you want? And There's no reason we can't do that now. Nick, come on. <laughs> uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it as long as uh, people are, you know, consciously doing this rather than, you know, subconsciously doing it or, or, or just didn't know they were doing it at all, I suppose. That's, that's, my, that's my take on it. Whereas if you're developing a product, like your, your run keeper, where you, you go into it with a particular goal and then that's fine because you've already bought into it up front and that's, that's what I'm when I'm talking about the difference between product versus marketing that's what I mean it's kind of my I've purchased something to help me do something rather than you're going to try and make me purchase something because you want me to do something I suppose As a marketer what made you decide you wanted to go to South by Southwest for the first time because I think a lot of techies go a lot of sort of marketers sort of on the agency side go but I don't know if that many brand marketers attend so what was it that kind of made you feel it's an interesting place for you to be Actually, I think there probably are more brands and marketers there than you'd, you'd, you'd probably think. Um, but I think it's our responsibility to just be just as aware of what's happening in the world um, rather than be led by you know any particular agency partner. Um, and I think that if you look at this kind of work that we're doing at Domino's, and we have been probably for the last three or four years, technology is kind of one of our key pillars. It's one of the sort of key areas of focus. And, you know, I spent a little too many ago with things like the Tommy Translator or... Uh, kind of easy ordering, anything like that that kind of helps people find our product quicker and easier, or maybe in the future, to, how do we deliver it to people quicker and easier? I think that we should just be aware of what's going on, and I think South is probably a good 
combination of kind of the, the, the very here and now and kind of there's a lot of good kind of intellectual conversation about kind of how brands should behave and human behavior as well as a kind of much more future facing oh my god in 15 years time we're all going to be flying around in pods um, and I think it's a nice blend of those two things so that's just what it appeals for, for well certainly for me and I imagine other people doing a similar kind of role. Have you come away with you know ideas that, that you would propose or kind of consider implementing or you could see Domino's doing in a few years or was it sort of more of a, an information gathering exercise? Um, probably more of an information gathering exercise. I thought the thing that I found interesting was and we've kind of had a few discussions about this is you don't walk away with anything that's necessarily immediately actionable now right tomorrow we are going to go and do that um so the two things i took out of it were one there's lots of interesting stuff that's going to happen in the future that we should just be kind of aware of but also which we've talked quite a bit about is kind of a lot of this is just about focusing on human behavior and how, how do we ensure that we are doing the right things by humans now and actually if, we, if we're building our brand in the right kind of way now to kind of service how humans want to be serviced getting the products they want to get when they want to get it how they want to get it then that's you're building the right framework so that any kind of new technology that comes along you'll just be able to adapt to it easily and probably, more importantly, customers will feel more comfortable using that kind of technology with your business. So it was just me, the thing I took away was really it reframed, make sure we're thinking about things properly now rather than mm. just, oh, that'll be cool in 10 years' time. So obviously sort of dominoes are often in the news for doing these, quite, you know, the, the pizza delivery robot, the, the tummy rumbling up and so on, I think some Snapchat stuff quite recently, you guys have your own uh, filters. So uh, why is technology such a focus and, and you know, sort of do you think it will remain so or will it remain quite experimental because some of that is sort of you know a pizza delivery robot is unlikely to be lots you know hundreds of Domino's robots out on the street anytime soon so how much of it is kind of fantasy kind of marketing and how much is it sort of actually we are genuinely thinking about the future of our business model I think it's both I think that um you can't shy away from the future one so you kind of have to be experimenting and playing because you can't wait for 20 years and then go oh Everyone else is doing whatever it is, you know, uh, droid-based deliveries, and we haven't even thought about it. So you have to at least be thinking about these kind of things. Um, and then, but on the sort of brand kind of marketing type side of things, if we're really realistic about it, kind of we work in a relatively commoditized kind of space. And, um, you know, we like the product we sell. We think it's really good. They're fresh, they're hot, they're, you know, delivered fast. And, you know, all, all, all the cues that someone would want from from our product. But obviously... It's a relatively spontaneous, top-of-mind type of purchase. So it's kind of really important that we kind of utilise marketing techniques that allow us to be top-of-mind and spontaneous when people want to purchase. So that means technology is a key part of that, either from reaching people at the right place at the right time, but or the enablement of that order, you know. So there's nothing better than being able to think, I want a pizza and it appearing. That's kind of uh, as top-of-mind as you could get. So if that's the kind of the territory we're going in, then we need to be exploring stuff now. So things like easy order or... As, a, as an example, that's not thinking, but it's just one-touch ordering. So I, I think that it is a that's real, and that's a kind of a, a product that we have that people use to buy pizzas now. So they are real, but we have to experiment for the future as well. That's quite interesting. This this idea of technology is magic of of making something happen when you really want it to happen, and yeah. sort of having that instantaneous urge. So that's quite that's quite interesting. Ben, was that you were sort of on a roll, kind of talking about the um, the stuff you saw at South by Southwest? What did you feel about the future when once you came away? Was that was there sort of one talk or one thing you saw where you were like, this is going to be the issue that we think about um, sort of over the next year or ten years or sort of over a particular period of time? I think I mean, Nick mentioned the, uh, the the sort of humanity point um, without getting sort of too too abstract. I think it, it felt like there was this takeout that says you know, technology's been um, 
very function functionality orientated uh, um, of late because there's been this sort of just speed of development and you know everyone is just trying to create possibilities and there there are a few people talking about the, the next wave where it's going to be re- really about not just delivering against our functional needs but our kind of emotional and you know, dare I say it spiritual needs needs as well um, and um, there, there's one one uh, guy Stefan Sagmeister who's a, a German designer who uh, talked about why beauty matters. Um, and and it really it really stuck out for me because um, he said you know beauty it's it's you know it gets a bit of a bad press at the moment it's sort of it's it's seen as all oh, that kind of slightly unnecessary layer over over the top of things um, and and he was actually you know, beauty is the most fundamental thing because back to the previous point we, we respond to it at a visceral level beauty is is humanity um, and he was saying and I don't think we're quite there in in digital at the moment so if you take Apple, um, sort of excuse the obvious analogy, but um, you're saying, t- you know, so um, Jonathan Ive uh, will, um, if a seam isn't quite right on, on an Apple product he's trying to build, he will insist that the company changes manufacturers at a cost of millions and millions and millions of dollars to to get it right because the beauty of that product is so fundamental to why we love it, why we respond to it in ways that we can't compute or talk about. And he's saying even Apple don't really do that in digital, uh, and no one really does that in digital. No one is really doing that in terms of this kind of you know more sort of softer experiences they're building for people. Um, and his observation was the the person who does will will win all because um, fundamentally we respond to beauty. We can't help it, you know, um, it, it, because it gives us a sense of elation and enlightenment that we don't get elsewhere. And I think we, we've we've been post recessionary. We've been worrying about authenticity and reality and things that make us feel kind of comfortable. And I think we're coming into a new age now where we want a bit more than that. And we, and, you know, we want things that, that you know, kind of take us, on, take us on a level and make us feel, feel differently and think differently about the world. And so there's a real demand for technology that, that has this sort of essence of, of, of beauty to it. What a lovely idea. Technology is art. I like that a lot. Um, and, it, you know, in terms of... Uh, a lot of what I write about is sort of the, the very, I hesitate to use the word sort of gimmicky, but very headline grabbing kind of tech development. So, you know, Snapchat's very interesting to us at the moment because it's still very new territory for marketers. And, you know, I know you guys have experimented with it a lot. So in terms of, you know, be it the developments at South by all these all these kind of new playthings, um, you know, how much should marketers kind of really focus on tech and what should they be thinking about when they think about tech should they be excited by these kind of headline grabbing developments or should they sort of you know be thinking at, at such a granular level or you know how should they sort of frame technology for themselves i put that to both of you so whoever wants to go first yeah i, I think we should well so firstly one i think it depends on your brand and what you do and how people consume you and how you're purchased and kind of what the what's the what's the what's the reason for, for technology existing in kind of your, your, your proposition um and most of the things that people do aren't headline grabbing just for the sake of the headline grabbing. Um, you know, so we look at Snapchat as a great example for us. We've got lots of coverage about our use of Snapchat. We didn't do that because we would get headlines from it. The the marketing trade media are writing about us doing it because no one else has done it. But we're doing it because we believe that Snapchat has a great proposition to help us reach our audience in a very unique way, in a way that you can't do through any other platform. So I think that we've you know we've gone down the right marketing approach, which is have an idea. Have a, have a proposition that we think works and then we'll find the channel in which we can reach people and that just happened to be Snapchat. But people will pick up on that and go, oh, they've gone into Snapchat, why have they done that? And it's kind of just as long as you start with the idea first and the consumer behaviour and then apply the channel, 
That's fine. What's the consumer behaviour for Snapchat that you identified that was so interesting? Well, so I suppose was twofold. One, um, there's the audience rather than consumer behaviour. So it's a very, very self-contained platform, I suppose. I.e., predominantly, it is a genuine 18 to 24 year old platform. It's not really used by many people outside of that age group, and kind of you, it's getting embarrassing when you get people like me that pick up the app and kind of yeah, just literally kind of go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so that so that just makes it quite interesting. And I think that one of the things that we've seen as we've as our brand has grown and our audience base has grown, you get into a risk where you've got kind of um, you become you can become a little bit mass, uh, uh, which is fine uh, in some channels, but in other channels people just don't buy into it. So I think so. Firstly, there was the audience bit. I.e., there's a very unique niche audience there. So therefore we can reach them and we can probably be a little bit bolder or more creative or kind of uh, unique in how we communicate with them. So that's kind of the audience bit. And then the channel, the platform is, there's no other platform that consumers, those guys, those 1824s are behaving in the same way. It's kind of this creative messaging rather than just instant messaging or it's just a very unique platform kind of. And, and I think that was an interesting thing to play with because of the spontaneity of the way people use Snapchat is quite similar to the spontaneity in which people just think about, oh, I'm going to buy a pizza. Um, so we just liked it, you know. It, it feels like there's a, there's a sort of coming together of a couple of things because I think from a brand perspective, we're at a stage with Domino's where we're sort of getting closer and closer to to, to the truth of, of yeah. the, you know, back to the visceral. It's the sort of you know, subconscious <laughs> desire for a pizza. And I don't know if you've seen the, the, the new uh, mouth-boggling... Mouth campaign it's all you know it's kind of like it's actually uh you know that just that just came from an insight around actually if you say someone how do you feel when you when you think about dominoes again if you wouldn't mind just running through what the mouth boggling campaign is yes of course so so we actually uh, I'll, I'll go back we did a bit of research uh, we went and asked people what what they associate when they think about dominoes um and we did a couple of things one of which was send an online survey out where people could could free flow any any response uh, and what they sent were uh Quite a lot of uh, biblical language, um, quite a few sort of gifts of unicorns and rainbows, uh, and ge- generally things that summed up a feeling of uh, ecstasy, for want of, a, want of a better way okay. of describing it. And uh, actually, that's the truth. That's yeah, that's that's how you feel when you when the dominoes turns up at your door. So so actually, the, the new campaign uh, tries to capture that in the form of. Um, uh, people who are, should we say, lost for words um, and uh, expressing their excitement in in mouth-boggling ways. Um, and there's a there's a fun little uh, trick where you can act, and you can actually express your own mouth-boggling using these Snapchat Snapchat filters. So I think the you know Snapchat is is a kind of quite an abstract platform. It's very emotive. It's very you know, people expressing themselves in 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 ways that go beyond words. And we've got a, a product and a brand that uh, people feel about in a way that go beyond the words so those two things kind of came together at a timely moment so um it's quite it's not actually the, the snapchat's not quite out yet is it it's not yet no. okay, happening. Away, so. happening by the time the podcast is out it will be it out will be, so you yeah, can, you can out. go and play with it on snapchat so i'm interested in what you think ben in terms of the the granularity of focus for marketers on tech so what should they be thinking about if if, if anything should they leave it all to their agencies well they, there was a really there was a really simple rule that uh, I can't remember. Someone someone mentioned at one of the millions of panels at South by Southwest that uh, is you know, the, the first rule of innovation is find something that is pretty obvious and works really well in one category, and apply it in a category where it's really surprising and really disruptive, and and there will always be things that you can do in that space. And you know a lot of the, you know we see the sort of the porting of ideas across categories all the time. One that uh, stood out for me again, another innovation winner was a thing called the Pico Brew. Um, which is essentially a Nespresso for beer. 
Um, so you know, craft brewing, it's you know, it's been in the sort of, it's still a pretty niche emerging emerging trend. But brewing your craft beer at home, and like any trend, it's probably going to keep growing way beyond we ever thought it would. So, of course, why wouldn't I want a machine that can sit in my kitchen where all I have to do is pour some water, barley, and hops into it, uh, and it will brew my brew my beer beer for me at a touch instantly. Of a I don't believe it's. I'm, okay. I'm not an expert in the brewing process, but I believe there might be a little bit of bit little more bit time of needed. Yeah. Okay. Um, but the general the general premise is uh, is in that. I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> I knew I didn't know the answer. Um, but but you know, so so really simple innovation that actually how long have we had an espresso is for like you know 15 years or something like that. And so I think I think that's still the best version of innovation is just look for stuff that. If it, if it was used in your category, it would be really surprising and, and really different. Um, and you know, there's still thousands and thousands of really obvious answers out there um, that don't need to be uh, at, the, uh, at the absolute bleeding edge of things. Mm. My, 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 one, my one sort of fear of the next year, having been at South by Southwest, is uh, with virtual reality. Because uh, that's, that's yeah. not come up so far. So, okay, very quickly before we wrap up, what's what is it that you fear about virtual reality? Both of you, actually. Well, I think there's one thing that marketers are better at than anything else, and that's taking something really exciting and and turning it into something really banal, yeah. very very <laughs> yeah. quickly. So I think I think once we've got you know a harsh a harsh <laughs> judgment of your profession. Well, quite valid. I think. <laughs> I think. So, so yes, I'm, I'm waiting to see what what sort of uh, interesting uses of virtual reality we'll see popping up over the next year. But I can, can guarantee a few of them uh, won't be quite as exciting as we're all feeling about how they might be at the moment. I mean, I, I can speak from experience of um, probably I don't know four years ago where we did some stuff with augmented reality, and I just remember thinking at the time, like you're thinking at the time, yeah, we'll do that. That'll be great. <laughs> And then, uh, then I, I look back. I was looking back at some slides in, it, in a presentation just about two weeks ago, and you sort of think, "What on earth did we do that for?" <laughs> um, and you know, you, like virtual reality is kind of, um, you know, I, I, I can't see a practical application right now for our brand, for example. But I'm sure if I uh, put a brief out to ten people, come up with an idea, we'd come up with loads of ideas. So you could easily get it done, but there should be no reason for doing it. And I think that's kind of to Ben's point is. Some of us just have to learn from our experiences. We've been there, so hopefully we won't do that again. But I'm sure someone else, will, someone else will uh, let, let the side down and, and do something uh, that doesn't really work. Best, never, never best, say never. Yeah. Best not to risk it just for <laughs> risk and technology's sake. No, I think you're right. There have been some quite poor implementations of VR from some brands so far. I think a lot of it's to do with just you know the the, the content isn't very good, the programming isn't very good, and sometimes the devices themselves aren't sort of advanced enough. And you even ha- you know sit with a, an Oculus for five minutes and you're just a bit woozy afterwards. Yep. You're just like, oh no, I sort of had a virtual tour of a house and now I feel like the room's spinning. So. Yeah, a bit of a way to go, I think. So have you had many, many clients or brands sort of ask you about VR and sort of get very excited about it? I think so. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, it's one of those things that you, you give them the experience and suddenly they kind of go, oh, wow, that is different. And I think it's about practical solutions to real brand problems. So actually we, we're um, developing something with Wix, uh, where there are uh, Wix build a lot of kitchens for people. Um, and there is a point in your kitchen uh, designing journey when you want to know what is this kitchen going to be like to live in. Um, and so he said, actually, at that moment, wouldn't it be great if I could actually jump into that experience and, and see what see what that's going to feel like? So we're actually developing a, um, really just a really simple application that allows me through through uh, VR to experience my kitchen in the design process so I can go, actually, you know what? 
it's going to be a real pain having my cutlery drawer over there. Let's swap it over before it's too late. So I think that's that's where we should be. We should be looking, you know, is there a pain point in someone's experience that it can fix? And if so, that's great. Um, if there isn't, then maybe we can just stick to uh, tummy translators. I like it. Tech as a solution to real brand problems. I think that's a very good closing line to this this month's episode. So you've been listening to The Marketing Mind. I'm Shona Ghosh. And a special thank you to our producer, Hannah Crouch-Pereira, and to our host, Something Else. Also to guests, Nick Dutch and Ben Essen. You can join in the conversation on Twitter following the hashtag MarketingMind or tweeting at MarketingUK. You can also find out more on our website, marketingmagazine.co.uk forward slash podcast. You've been listening to The Marketing Mind. Thank you.